What's new? What's new? Welcome back to another music interview. I'm Justin the Floor God. This is the So Who's Up Next podcast, the show of curious conversations, speaking with artists and people in the music space about ideas that inspire. Joe Tyrone is up next and proves how powerful a cultivated creativity can really be. For artists like myself, imagination is something we let run wild. But for Joe Tyrone, imagination is something to be studied and harnessed to the highest degree. In any creative space, the yin-yang of inspiration and willpower are always at play, and hearing Joe's take about how he navigates that headspace gave me brand new insights that I found extremely valuable and I know you will too. These insights helped pave the way for Joe to get his song, Strong, produced by Linkin Park's Mike Shinoda. Hear about how this collab happened and more coming up next. Let's get into it. Joe Tyrone, nice to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I am great. I'm coming off the back of a, uh, a very, very hot day today. We're going through some very rare heat wave at the moment. I work as a lighting technician at a school, so um, I've been up doing tech stuff all day amongst theater lights which generate a lot of heat so i've been very hot today <laughs> i mean it sounds like it's going to be very warm work regardless of the outside weather yeah i'd say despite the weather rigging lights and working with lights in general the heat output of them is just intense sometimes <laughs> for sure i mean I, I hope you're staying hydrated i see you got your mug full of i got tea tea what kind of tea do you drink english breakfast tea Nice. I uh, yeah. I hopped on that train a little while ago because I'm doing this thing where I'm drinking a different kind of tea every month for a year. And that was on the list. So I forget which month, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. So definitely yeah. a good choice. What are you on now? What are you um, on now? Have you ever heard of Perilla tea? I have not. No. It's a weed. That's why. It's <laughs> <laughs> It's literally like I I did some research and it's literally a weed that someone thought, hey, let's put this in some water. And now it's a tea that's... I mean, to be fair, it doesn't surprise me. It's not too many worlds away from, you know, what that stuff actually is, is it, really? In terms that's true. of, you know, you're just putting herbs in a bag and then sticking them in a, in, right. in a tea it's, or in yeah, hot water. I guess it's just uh, you know, the amount of times you're willing to experiment with what we can call good or bad plants. But tangents on tangents, back to you. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? I spent the first seven years of my life living here in the UK. I don't remember much of that, but I then moved to Spain and spent the next seven years of my life in Spain, which was nice. I grew up, learned Spanish, and that's where I sort of got my first taste of wanting to be a musician. And it sort of started this journey of whatever this is now. It's just taken shape in a very, very unique way, I guess. I like that a lot. How did you find music in Spain? What was that like for you? It was amazing, to be honest. Music is in a lot of places out there, but my interest in it actually came from my dad. My dad was also a musician uh, and he did 80s pop. I want to say like 80s pop. It's kind of like Michael Jackson, Phil Collinsy hmm. sort of stuff. He'd been doing that way before I was born and been doing it up until just before I was born. So his music was always playing around the house and stuff. And that started the spark and started to inspire me. And, and there was always something there. It's kind of like growing up, mum would play Robbie Williams in the car and they would play uh, George Michael in the car. There would be loads of stuff going on. It, all through my parents, I have to say. My parents have definitely passed down my initial 
taste of music and that's kind of what got me interested in it but then when i was in spain sort of got exposed to a lot more different types of music so you know all the the spanish and flamenco sounding stuff mm-hmm. that was cool not that i've ever dabbled in that musically myself but it was it was just stuff that was sonically nice to listen to and eventually time went on and and i started to develop my own tastes you know tastes away from my mum's and dad's style of music and i ended up discovering eminem which I think that was the point things switched for me. That was mm. the moment where I was like, okay, now you've got my attention music, but now you've got my undivided attention. Yeah. And in Spain, it was, I don't know if, how often you get them out there, but it would be along the, along the beach. Mm. People would go giving out like pirated DVDs and nice. CDs and albums and stuff. Well, they would, they would be selling them. So you'd buy cheap albums and cheap this cheap that and at some point along the line my mum or my dad must have bought this Eminem CD Mm -hmm. so they bought the 8 Mile soundtrack and I heard Lose Yourself for the first time and that was the moment where I was like okay cool and after that I sort of dug through this bookcase that we had at home which had loads of different cds there had, you know all the my mum's and dad's usual tastes a load of weird music that they discovered in spain and then i eventually found that they had more eminem cds there and i was like okay nice. you know i like the first eminem one i'm gonna dig through this and i i did my homework i pretty much studied eminem and loved his music for years and years and years from as young as i want to say 10 or 11, I started like trying to write my own raps and, you know, I was, I was just writing raps. It, it was mainly in the form of poetry. I, at this stage, I wasn't in a place where I was exposed to recording music or I wasn't familiar with how it was even done. I just knew that I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Pages upon pages of me writing raps and poetry. And it would usually be to me listening to an Eminem CD that... Usually when you'd buy the singles, they'd have like the instrumental. Yeah, I would sit there and write my own stuff over them and I'd be doing my thing dreaming of the day i'd be a world (laughs) a world-renowned rapper (laughs) i like that i like that a lot discovering music when you're young is so important to developing your tastes as an adult and as you move forward in time as well because at least in my case it wasn't rap that i found first it was more like edm stuff and so to this day i have such an appreciation for like bass sounds and bass sound design and things like that and i mean i can tell through all your lyrics you're very intentional every word has its place every story has its purpose in the grand scheme of Mm. what an album is but i'm curious then how you got from rap right (laughs) into what you're doing now so i think in order to answer that we also need to establish what kind of music you're making so for anyone who hasn't heard you yet How would you describe your music to them? So nowadays, it takes things from a lot of different genres. And they definitely, all those influences that I've had growing up, definitely amalgamate into what my music is now. Mm -hmm. But if I had to put like a stamp on it, I would say that it was, it's indie pop. It's delicate indie pop on the surface. And I think that it it has its rockier moments. It has its more lo-fi inspired moments it has its folkier moment for sure and all that kind of adds up at least from an outsider perspective into something almost beyond imagination very dreamlike very fantastical through i was looking through like what playlist you're on right one of them is like a disney playlist it's very like dreamy how did you make the shift from rap into um, what you're doing now with this uh i think delicate is a good word for your sound so how'd you how'd you make that shift 
we're going to fast forward now. So Spain, I've started writing raps, decided that I'm going to be the biggest rapper in the world. Right. <laughs> years go by. Uh, I spent about seven years in Spain and we eventually moved back to the UK. And when we moved back to the UK, I was actually reintroduced to a friend of mine that I'd known from before I moved to Spain. He was a childhood friend. His dad played in a band with my dad. So off of the top of that, I kind of got the musical gene from my dad. He got the musical gene from his dad. Mm -hmm. That was my friend Sid. I learned that he was doing music. The music he was doing was a lot more just pop. I would say pop. Uh, it was very, very melodic, very catchy. And that was something that I didn't have. By this point, I was still in like battle rap mode, you know? Nice. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I'm a lyrical, spiritual miracle. Yeah, so, so we formed a band. He had a house with a studio and we thought, well, you know, let's do something together. Like, these two styles don't mash together. So let's try and mash them together. Mm. So we ended up turning and years went on, years and years went on. We've got quite a few views on YouTube. We built up a decent following actually. And that was just from releasing. So we'd, we'd learned to badly record ourselves and gotcha. songs out. by this point the songs were pretty much a mixture of sid and joe which was poppy pop rap it was mm -hmm. pop rap this was around the time where pop rap was quite a big thing as well we felt like that was a good lane for us to go in so we were sort of running with that and time went on and we just started to evolve more back then we were just sort of singing over other people's instrumentals and we eventually picked up some instruments and learned to play guitar each and then we learned keys. We took on our first gig in a place called Harlow, which is where we kind of grew up back here in the UK. Mm -hmm. We took on our first gig and we didn't know how to play any instruments. And we were like, well, we need to, we need to learn some instruments. So I remember we took a gig. I can't remember how in, how in advance this gig was, but I feel like it was quite a while away. It must have been at least six, seven months away. We were like, right, let's learn our instruments and, mm -hmm. you know, let's do it. And then from learning our instruments, like our music just changed. Like for that gig, we wrote entirely new songs for it because we nice. were like, well, we can't, we don't know how to play our old songs because the music was kind of written by someone else. So we mm -hmm. don't really know how to play them yet. I know we must have been 14 at this point. It started to develop into like a more folkier sound. People called us, well, they said it was like... Simon and Garfunkel mixed with Watsky. And as more and more time went on, the, the rap stuff started to take a bit of a backseat. It was mm -hmm. kind of like, this is getting, you know, I'm learning a bit more here. And I think that I always had that ear for melody because of my dad. His stuff was, you know, the complete opposite of spoken word or rap in any sense. Proper Phil Collins, Mike, Michael Jackson, really mm -hmm. catchy. So I think I had an ear for melody. Over time, it became more and more, the rap was becoming less and less. And by this point as well, I'd started learning to produce. So I was producing for me and Sid as well. Yeah, as time went on, me and Sid stopped doing stuff, but I just carried on. And then here I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that a lot. Given different circumstances, people are going to go different ways. I think the fact that you've stuck with music so long allows me to see your evolution. Working on your third album now, you got two out. Before we get to the new stuff, I definitely want to talk about the older stuff. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about your Getting By album, 2018 yeah. release. We're now, we're in 2015. So in 2015, me and Sid, we get, get offered our biggest gig yet. Mm -hmm. And it was with Sir Bob Geldof. So we start. We we did this tour with Bob Geldof. Leading up to it, our lives were going in very different ways. Mainly because I am a couple years older than Sid. Now, by this point, I am 
at uni doing sound engineering. Mm -hmm. And Sid is at the point in his life where he's trying to choose what he wants to do. Right. And he's not sure whether he wants to do music or he wants to go and be a physicist. He picked the physicist route. So me and him sort of naturally drifted. The musically we drifted, we're, mm -hmm. we're still close to this day. From then I was sort of left, what is Joe without Sid? You know, right. I kind of, I, I have completely forgotten by this point that Joe Tyrone many, many years ago before meeting Sid was even really a thing. I was so, so involved in indie and pop and folky alternative music that I was like, can I do that by myself? Like, is that what I bring to the, you know, I didn't bring that to Sid and Joe. I bought the spoken word and the mm. rap and the production. So I did produce. I was kind of in a place where I didn't know what to do with this. I was like, well, right. you know, I know I want to carry on doing music, but do I rap again? Do I mm -hmm. sing? Do I, what, where do I go? For many years while I was discovering that, I was actually ended up producing for a bunch of my friends in the local area. Eventually I got offered a job. I could take this job and I could move to a new town. I moved to this new town and set up a home studio there because I knew that from there I was going to be able to do, when I figure out what I'm doing musically, I will be able to do something. Right. And from that point, I sort of, I went, right, I'm going to shut myself in the studio. I need to figure out what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Throughout all of this as well, I was always writing and I was always writing these little songs. Some were rap, some weren't rap, some merged the two. Mm -hmm. When I took that new job, I was like, this is, this is the time where I figure this out. And I think I said to myself very early on, I was like, I want to make an album because I think Spotify was well established by this point. You could tell that people's attention spans were sort of, the albums weren't happening. Everyone was in EP mode. Everyone was right. releasing EPs. I produced EPs for other people it was the way to go but for me i'd grown up on albums because that was just how things were done back then mm -hmm. and i was like i think i want to do an album and then i settled down and i just i got to it and i did it i don't know what happened it took me a long time to figure it out with getting by there are 10 songs there and i'm proud of every single one of them mm -hmm. but it took me a hundred songs to get those 10. i was going back and taking inspiration from people like phil collins to be fair in places eminem on the production side of things mm -hmm. um definitely a lot of 80s stuff do you remember the band fun they were like one of my all-time yeah. bands john bellion and it became what it did and what i think was great about that was i really did commit to the whole locking myself away and i'm about 40 minutes away from my family mm -hmm. at this point i did shut myself off in the way that it allowed me to really discover where i wanted to go with this and at the same time it allowed me to sort of shut off the noise and i know that sounds very cliche and it sounds very like you know oh i'm going to make the next folklore <laughs> but um <laughs> it was no it was more like at a point where i was so shut off from things i wasn't really listening to much more music i was just sort of using those inspirations from memory i wasn't mm. actually listening to them and not not in the creation stage anyway when i mix i often use reference tracks and stuff. Right. but when i was producing i was very much able to shut things i remember every day i would drive to work and on my drive i would listen to demos of myself on mm. the, and then when i get to work i would make notes and on my way back from work when i get home from work I would work on those same songs. It allowed me to sort of develop my own sound that way. Not listening to much helped me develop that sound. That's a super cool concept. I definitely agree that, you know, self-discovery is a process. You have to be willing to be patient with yourself and then actually have the discipline to be patient with yourself. I know that that was kind of a lengthy process. Maybe at times you were a bit frustrated with yourself. Were there any tips or tricks that, that you found that might have, you know, in retrospect, right? This is all speculation, but yeah, do you course. think there's anything you could have done to make that process speedier? Looking back at it now, I have a very different process to back then. My process back then was I did try and 
finish everything I started. Now, this led to me having God knows how many songs on the go at once. Mm -hmm. I would spend a few weeks on a song, get to the end of it, and then scrap it. I now know that I can gauge how good a song is from like the first verse and chorus. I can kind of gauge where a song's going. Mm. And I think back then, because I was still learning how to do this, you know, on my own, I'd been making music for years, but I'd never been making music for just me for years, you know? Mm. Um, so doing that put me in a place where I felt like I needed to finish everything I started. A lot of the times, you know, it would have been ideas that I would have loved for the first 24 hours. Mm. But after that, I wouldn't have been so much in love with them. But I was like, there's got, you know, maybe I'll fall in love with it once I finish it. And mm. then I would push myself to finish it and then get to the end and still be like, meh, that can go. Right. And then start another one. And I think that really added time to that process because mm. I spent too much time thinking about what people wanted to listen to. Mm. I think although I was not listening to much, I would make things and be like, oh, is anyone going to want to like this? Mm -hmm. is, is anyone going to like this? This is weird. Like, I remember I had a song, this was back before I actually had the cemented sound of the album. I would make songs and, you know, one would sound like an 80s ballad and then one would sound, and then it would have a rap verse stuck on the end. Right. And I remember at the time, which thinking back now, if I listened to that, I would probably love that. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember at the time I was like, oh no, people aren't going to connect to this. They're not going to love it. They're not gonna, they might not like it. And I think that from the moment that I made something and fell in love with it, I would really just tunnel vision. I would be like, right, this mm -hmm. is getting finished. Like yeah. this, those are the songs I ended up keeping. The ones I ended up keeping were the ones where I wasn't thinking about anyone but myself. Mm -hmm. As selfish as that sounds, right. I think there's, I think there is a level of selfishness you probably do have to have when you are trying to discover your own sound. You do need to kind of dig deep mm -hmm. and be like, "Is would I want to listen to this? It doesn't matter if anyone else would want to listen to this. If I'm happy with this, then I, I, that's that's ninety percent of the battle won." For sure, I, you know, as an artist myself, I'm definitely constantly feeling the external pressure to yeah. make something that people will enjoy. But yeah. at the same time, that's a very toxic mindset, I think, trying to stick mm. to a trend or stick to something that is sticky enough, poppy enough, what have you, so that yeah. people do enjoy it. Because I feel like regardless of what you make, you have to first enjoy it to uh, the fullest extent alone, you know, before anyone yeah. can perceive it. But at the same time, going back to what, what you started with about finishing tracks, I saw a tweet the other day that was like mm. a tip to all producers, finish everything you start. And I was like, that's garbage because... Yeah, I, I get why that is very, very good advice. Like, I think that there is a place where you do need to learn to finish things. Like, the, I think that's more about learning to finish things. I mm -hmm. think once you get to a point where you know you can finish things, I think you're, you're in... A position where you can be selective i think right. you can you can and that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to finish everything to start with mm -hmm. but i think that it's a big debate isn't it like do you finish them or do you not because if you if you really don't love something that much what is the point of finishing it and, and this comes from like when i was at university i kind of got this um, advice drilled into me it was a good mix can't fix a bad song so why can't a bad idea there's got to be some kind of correlation there mm -hmm. do, do you know what i mean i'm not yeah. sure how to put it into words yeah, but you, you... it's along the lines of if the idea isn't good and you're just dragging yourself through it for the sake of finishing it mm -hmm. you know what, what what are you gaining out of it okay you might get a middle and i'm i'm talking more the sense of 
if you've got a verse and a chorus and you hate both of them, yeah. then what's the point of writing another verse and another chorus? Exactly. Because you hate, you might get a middle that you like. Take the middle, by all means. Take mm -hmm. it and use it in another song. But I'm for and against it. <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing, but I think it's exactly what you explained to me of like, it's a function of time, right? Developing the intuition to know when you can or should finish a song. Because yeah. maybe you only have 10 songs on the final album, but you weren't able to develop the intuition as to what songs should be on the album until you finish those 100, you know? And even yeah. then, you're still developing the intuition as to whether or not you can actually take a song and find that spark and then carry it through until the end. You just mentioned in the course of a song, you cannot like the beginning, you cannot like the end, but maybe you like the middle. One of the middles that you've been sitting on for a while was for the Mike Shinoda produced song, Strong. You told me before we got on call in a voice message that you had the chorus forever. You were sitting yep. on it for, I think you said, multiple years, which is crazy within itself. Things happened. The song filled out and somehow you got it produced by Linkin Park's Mike Shinoda. So tell me about what that process was like. So how'd you start with Strong and then how do you finish with Mike Shinoda? Do you know what? To, to this day, it's still something I'm uh, processing myself. <laughs> but in terms of the song itself, actually, when I started my second album, Into Nowhere, Strong was just a song, you know, it, it was meant to be on the second album, but I just couldn't get it right. And this was back in 2018, actually. This is in mm. 2018. The year Getting By comes out. I'm in the studio still and I'm like, right, let's, let's roll on to number two. Mm. And I had a bunch of songs and... I was liking them and they were getting good. Similar process to the first album where I had ideas that I loved, ideas I didn't. Right. And and Strong was one that I'd started, I had this chorus and I was like, wow, that's a great chorus. Then I was challenged with making the verses. I don't know if you've ever had that before where you get a great chorus and you're like, oh, now I have to write a great verse to go with it. All the time. So how'd you fill out the rest of the track then? I'd wrote a verse at the time and I just, I wasn't in love with it, but I showed mm. my girlfriend and she was like, Joe, this chorus is a smash. Yeah. And I was like, eh, I was in that mind. I was in that mindset of, oh, the verse don't work. The chorus is good, but it's not my favorite chorus. Right. So, you know, maybe I'll put it on the back burner. I, I did plan on going back to it, but I was sort of, I had a bunch of other songs for album two on the go that I was already in love with, you know, mm. that they were already going, but they were like 80% of the way there. And I was like, these sound great. And then I had like this 10% of strong that was cool, but I didn't have enough to really know where I was going with it. Then the lockdown hit. I went into writing mode. I've moved to a new house. I'm in my new studio now. I'd just been writing around the house because there was nothing else to do in the lockdown. Yeah. And I was writing new songs as I usually do. And I was writing this song and I was sat there in the living room. I was sat there with my girlfriend. She was probably doing some work. She's a teacher. So during the lockdown, she was kept very busy. Mm -hmm. And I was sat there playing guitar and I was writing something. And the verse was cool that I was writing. Then I accidentally transitioned into the chorus of Strong. And then Liam was like, I saw what you did there. And I was like, what? Because nice. for years, for years, she'd been like, finish strong. What, like, what about Because <laughs> I, I would be working on album two and or I'd be, well, actually after album two, I was working on this new batch of songs that I'm doing now. Mm. And I was like, oh, I, I, I don't know what songs to do. Like, I don't know what to do today. What shall I do? Because usually when I go in the studio, I give myself a random prompt and mm. then I go and write. And, I, and then every so often, my girlfriend will throw in like a snarky comment. I'll be like, oh, what shall I do today? She's like, finish strong. <laughs> that's so good i know and she loved it and she i think she's got quite a good ear for that like when it comes to some songs she does have that consumer mindset so 
she can listen to something and she's got a very pop ear. She loves the radio and stuff. Mm. So I think that she caught on to strong a lot sooner than I did because I have the, so many different music tastes that I love that I was kind of like, oh, it's, where do I take this song? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so when I was writing this new song, I accidentally transitioned this verse into strong. She was like, I saw what you did there. And I was kind of like, no, I didn't. So I tried it and I was like, this, this sounds really cool. Like this, this feels like what strong should be. And then suddenly the inspiration hit and I finished it that night. And I was like, wow, like strong exists now. Finally, after two years, I guess, at the time, because this was in 2020. Now it exists as something. So I put together a demo of it, saw that Mike Shinoda was doing his Shinoda Produce Me thing Mm -hmm. online. At this point, I'd already started. I'm in the process now of making the next album. um, And I'm producing a bunch of different stuff on the go, as I usually do. And Strong was the only song that was kind of... I I knew that I wanted to get involved in that Shinoda Produce Me thing. I'd been following Linkin Park and Mike Shinoda for years. I'm a huge fan. And I was like, well, I thought my odds were quite low. But I was like, oh, Strong's in demo form. Let's Mm -hmm. send it and see what happens. So I uploaded it and weeks went by and I thought, oh, you know, like Strong sounds great. I'm getting great feedback from it. Um, Haven't heard anything from Mike, but that's fine. You know, I knew my odds were maybe quite low. And then he messaged me on TikTok. And I was, from this point, I was freaking out. I was like, whoa. And he just said, he was like, oh, Joe, I like, I love your voice. He was like, oh, yeah, I think he said, you've got a great voice. Nice. And I was like, is this real? Like, Mm -hmm. like, I was like, I had to, you know, take a second to look at that. And I was like, wow. So I messaged him back, obviously. And I was like, thank you so much. Mm. Then another week went by. And I was like, oh, maybe that's it. Maybe he didn't hear the song. Maybe he just came across my stuff somehow on TikTok. And then he messaged me and said, would you want me to produce one of your songs? You know, in my head, I was like freaking out like, ah! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, if Mike Shinoda from Linkin Park asks you if you, you want him to produce one of your songs, you don't say no. Of course, I said yes. And I was, yeah. And then a few weeks went by, I sent him the stems. He, I'd actually started producing the song a bit more at this point. What I actually uploaded was just the piano and the vocals. Hmm. By this point, I'd started producing the song myself because I knew that I wanted it on my next album, but I just didn't know what I was doing with it. You know, it, it sounded like a full-on pop ballad, a like, pop rock ballad. Hmm. I knew that's what it wanted to be. But I was kind of like, do I go different with it? Do I try and... I, uh, um, originally, I actually took it down more of a lo-fi route. It was really interesting, actually. I've got the demo. And it sounded really cool. And then when I sent it to Mike, I'd sent it just bare, the piano and the vocals. And he took it and made it what it is today, which is absolutely amazing. I'm so, so chuffed with that song. That is absolutely crazy. I actually watched that stream where he went and produced and did his thing on your track. And, you know, when I watch other people produce, there's always instances where I'm like, why would you do it like that? You know what I mean? Mm. But then it turns out nice and you're like, oh, I guess that was the right call. I'm curious as a producer yourself, like, Mm. were there any moments in that process of Mike Shinoda producing your track that you were like, oh, don't do that. Or maybe like, what is this? Maybe second guessing something. I think there were things where I was like, oh, uh, maybe he should do this. And then he didn't do it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. For me, my instinct would have been to reach for an acoustic guitar and shove that on the song. He said in the stream, he was like, I don't I, I don't really want to go down the, the acoustic guitar route. And that was an interesting choice. Like to me, it kind of was calling for that. But mm. I mean, I trust his I trust his ears of way course. more than I remember thinking at the time when he was making it, um, there was a part of me, and I don't know why, there was a part of me that was kind of apprehensive about making 
such a big brooding pop rock ballad because mm-hmm. to me it really is that kind of you know you sit at a piano cry your eyes out and sing yeah. it's like that moment it's like mike said it's like that moment in just before the interlude in a show where mm-hmm. it's like it's the main character's big moment mm-hmm. and for me i remember when he was making it at the time i was like oh wow like he's taking it down that route because mm-hmm. like i said i had the more lo-fi route when i was making it mm-hmm. and i definitely saw the potential of it being this big bombastic thing that it is now but i think there might have been a part of me that was a bit scared like there's a bit of part of me that was like can i do that have i got the voice to carry that i think it's just these internal demons and doubts that you right. know, come with being a creator but there was a big part of me that was like can i carry a tune like that mm. and i think mike made me see that in myself like he allowed me to see that in myself which as well as him making the song i'm eternally grateful for as well I feel like that's such a great position to find yourself in. I'm glad you've got that new wave of a different kind of confidence that yeah. maybe you were building, but not quite ready to unleash. Mm-hmm. You got strong at the top of your Spotify page. You've got a good amount of streams on all your top 10. Mm-hmm. Generally, when you're looking to market your music, because like you got 6K monthly listeners on Spotify, almost seven, mm-hmm. right? So that doesn't happen on accident. Sometimes it does. You can let me know. But as far as getting an audience and keeping an audience, How do you go about doing that? I'm a big believer in the playlist. Playlisting is one of those things that you should never pay to be on one. Mm. But if you want to be on them, you should put in the effort to be on them. And it takes a long time, unfortunately. It's kind of, I I don't know if you've been through this process. It's, you know, finding the playlist to start with, finding the curator, contacting the curator, hoping they respond. I've been doing that since Getting By came out. And it, it hasn't let me down. It's you know, yeah. it's time consuming. And I think for every 100 people I message, I may get 10 replies. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely helps. It definitely brings people your way. It gets your music in rotation. I think that when you get the ball rolling, I think these curators, they must look at, I don't know much about curators, but they must look at your other figures. And I think if they see interesting figures, then you're more likely to get on them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the the first few playlist ads take longer, but once you've got a few and your numbers start rolling, I think that um, progress does come with that. Nowadays, I try using Facebook ads. I'm not sure if you've oh, had yeah. any experience with that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been using Facebook ads just because when, I think that until Strong came out, I always had this mentality that, of course, I want my music to do amazingly, but for me, I'm really constantly every day trying to remind myself that I do this because I love it. Right. I find that sometimes looking at the numbers really isn't good for me mentally. Like mm-hmm. I find that I get, you remember what I was saying about getting by when I was making that and I was getting in my head about what other people would like. Yeah. I think that when I look at numbers that something taps into me there and I'm like, Oh, like will people like this. Will be... So well, up until now I did try and sort of, maybe it was like subconscious. I did, I didn't actually put much money behind my music i I thought you know blood sweat and tears will get me so far so that's what i've you know i've invested time in getting on playlists and stuff and i still do that but nowadays i've also started to now i've you know i've I've worked over a few years and i've worked up a bit more of a budget for my music that i do actually put a bit of money behind it it's not a lot definitely not a lot in the grand scheme of some of my friends who do it as well like they have much bigger budgets than me but i think if you can put any kind of money behind your music that also helps as well playlists are super important and then also 
bigger picture, definitely getting out of your own head and out of your own way yeah, is a definitely. huge part of overcoming. Um, I mean, that I, that's something I can definitely relate to yeah. with every new song, it seems, or every new update to the social media meta you know however you want to look it's a whole new challenge exactly <laughs> yeah. but what can you do you just got to pay attention take notes roll with the punches repeat i think the, you know i think that once you as a musician if you discover what you want out of being a musician i think that makes all of this a lot easier if you want streaming figures you go and get streaming figures you know you either put your budget behind it or you put your your effort in to get those numbers you know by contacting playlists for me in particular and of course i love those things i love when those things happen to my music mm -hmm. i think nowadays now i'm older i think and this is actually a big part this segues into my next album quite well actually nowadays i'm definitely trying to rediscover why i started doing music because i think after years of putting in the effort into getting numbers and to, you know, getting my music out there. Um, and, I, and I'm not saying this is in my music is doing huge, huge numbers. Like I think it, it's doing comfortable numbers. Mm -hmm. But I think that after so much effort going into that, I think I kind of lost my way a bit. Somewhere along the line, I think I lost what I got into this for. I'm not the kid writing raps in his bedroom right. anymore. Yeah. You know, back then it was passion. It was it was like a blood sport. It was really, mm. it was, there was a competitive thing to it, but it was also like, this is something I can realistically do. And I think that after so many years of doing music, sometimes you forget that. Um, me in particular, I have anyway. I feel like sometimes I forget that. And nowadays I'm definitely trying to rediscover my love for music. I'm trying to rediscover why I did this and I'm really trying to shut out the noise again, you know, make stuff that makes me happy. During the lockdown, I was creating so much and, and internally I was just being mean to myself. I wasn't mm. being kind. I was like, get to work, get to work. That sucks. Get to work, get to work. You know, mm -hmm. and I was really putting a lot of pressure on myself and it just didn't help. It really didn't help. And I think the moment I stopped putting pressure on myself, the moment good things started happening, like mm. with, with the Mike Shinoda thing, that yeah. happened on a whim. I think when I put strong out there i wasn't doing it for the recognition i think i did it because it felt like a, a full circle moment because mm -hmm. strong was finished i was like strong must have the chorus of strong must have stuck around for a reason yeah one day when i was just writing it just fell out of me and i was like what well, that's you know that those are the kind of songs that you want to stick around for you know the songs exactly. that fall out of you they're the ones that you should put effort into and i think those songs fall out of you when you stop putting pressure on yourself to make those songs i mean i found that the my best work i think has come on a whim as well when that spark yeah. is there and i'm not really in the mindset of hey i should really care about this it just flows manufacturing that headspace is also a very difficult thing i think yeah. the idea of caring via intentional neglect is very difficult to grasp and something that I'm trying to, you know, work into my own schedule with the podcast as well, because it's like, yeah, I'm taking this, you know, at times very, very seriously, but then I have to stop myself and be like, it's just a show. Don't overthink it. You know, we're just hanging out. So just little things like that. And then with the music as well. So I definitely, definitely relate. Before we get into Joe Tyrone's advice for emerging artists, be sure to listen to Joe's music and connect with him through the links in the description. Follow the show wherever you go to stay updated on all things music. And at the beginning of the show, I mentioned the balance between having the willpower and having the inspiration to create as something that's vitally important to your survival. If you're on YouTube, leave me a comment letting me know which one, inspiration or willpower, you think is more important to your creative process and why. The usual four to six sentences, double space, Times New Roman, the full nine yards. Really interested in hearing your takes on that. Now for some advice. 
What advice do you have for emerging artists looking to take their sound to the next level? One I've discovered recently, um, do, do you know the band Wilco? So Je Jeff Tweedy is the lead singer and songwriter for Wilco. And he's released uh, a book, which is actually behind me. I've got it behind me somewhere on there. Nice. It's called it's called How to Write One Song. Nice. And in there, it's, it is it's a pocket-sized book, and it shows you how to write a song. It's very simple. I mean, this guy has got years and years of experience behind him. But what I found really interesting about these books was um, his creative process is so um, calculated. Mm. But I think he has mastered the art of getting out of that overthinking headspace mm -hmm. um, in the sense that what he does, he uses English writing exercises to craft his songs. And it's a really interesting way of writing. I've started doing it recently. Now, what you'll do, you'll take a list of nouns and pull out all of the nouns from, you know, flip to a page in a Harry Potter book or go on a random Wikipedia website, rip out a list of 12 nouns and put them on one side mm -hmm. and then get a list of um, adjectives on the other side and start linking words together randomly. And just, you know, uh, an example um, Jeff Tweedy uses is the lyric is it's I assassinate down the avenue. Now, mm. that doesn't make any sense, but because he's linked those words together, he's had to try and make sense of it. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of taken the pressure off of finding things to say because it's kind of predetermined for you. Yeah. And it's, it's, I just found it really interesting. That's a really interesting way of, put, of putting lyrics together in particular. Um, and in terms of advice for taking your music further in general, something I'm definitely still trying to figure out myself, but I think it goes back to what I said earlier. I think that if you can identify your goals, mm -hmm. you can definitely find a way to get to them. The more helpful version of that is identify your goals and when you know what they are, just make sure you're happy along the way. Because if you're not happy doing something, life is too short. Don't waste the time doing it.